This is Bonjour Chai, the ham sandwich topped with shrimp on lard bread edition. I'm Avi Fongel in Montreal, and I'm here with Phoebe Maltzbovi in Toronto and guest host Zach Kaufman in Toronto. We are your frozen chosen. On today's show, we reflect on the tragic death of Herschel Siegel and discuss the role and relationship of communities when an LGBTQ member dies. We also get into some questionable tweets and ponder the apocalypse that is Twitter these days. Phoebe, I feel like last time we uh, had Zach on, we just sort of steamrolled right through and made Zach part of the conversation. And it's probably because we work with him all the time, but we never really introduced him to the public. Um, Zach Kaufman is our producer extraordinaire, our port in the storm, the one who makes us sound greater than we actually are. Zach, welcome back to our side of the mic. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be unchained and let out into the open. Phoebe, how are things otherwise? Uh, things are good. It, it got cold again in Toronto, which is a little bit unfair. I was promised spring, but um, yeah, we it had been warm. So I've been spending a lot of my uh, non-work time in playgrounds with my children. Um, Zach, what have you been up to? Life is good. It's good to be back on Bonjour High. I recently moved houses as a itinerant uh, late 20s person would do. And things are good. I, too, have been in ballparks and playgrounds and stuff. Not so much playgrounds. Our kids are starting to age out of that. Um, But this past Sunday, I got to say, I drove the kids to Ottawa to go check out the Ottawa Titans, uh, which is a minor league team owned by uh, a friend of mine, Jacques Shore. Uh, A great time was had by all. Uh, The kids who I was not expecting to really get into baseball, especially was a long game. Um, They loved it. They enjoyed. And uh, we will go back. So yay for minor league baseball. It's one of my favorite things. And yay for representation of uh, different, uh, not quite generations, but like, you know, different life stages, uh, right? They're just about 10 and then 11 and 13. (laughs) I mean, I I also mentioned on the podcast that we're each giving like what what we do, um, you know, when when not podcasting varies by age. Moving, playgrounds, 20s 20s are seeming like a while ago now. Yeah. (laughs) Um, you have been you've been monitoring the Twitter sphere as the resident. Uh, I have been. That's what it's, that's what browsing Twitter is now called. Is monitor. <laughs> I am monitoring the Twitter sphere. I am not looking at nonsense on the internet. Please. Um, yes, I I am as always monitoring the Twitter sphere. Although Twitter is kind of. Um, Perhaps petering out, people are moving on to something called Blue Sky, which I have not been invited to, so I don't even know what it is. Um, and Twitter itself is uh, interest, an interesting place, as always. There was first a spat. Uh, so there are a couple sort of Jewish Twitter has been active because there was a spat where... Um, I don't even know if spat is the best way to call it, where we all know uh, Ben Shapiro, or if we don't, he is... Not personally, a, not person. He's sitting here in the room with me, of course, as always, when I record. Um, no, Ben Shapiro is an American conservative pundit, um, brother to uh, influencer Abby Shapiro, who has come up in the topic of trad wives on the program. But anyway, Ben Shapiro tweeted in reference to um, Bernie Sanders being bad as in his perception on in a tangential way on Israel, although it's kind of complicated. But anyway, the point is that that Ben Shapiro tweeted, Bernie Sanders is approximately as Jewish as a ham sandwich topped with shrimp on lard bread. Whoa. Okay, May 10th. (laughs) Now, somebody, I saw this because Jewish Twitter, you know, somebody was pointing out that this sandwich should really have 
dairy on it so actually to make it even less kosher (laughs) oh i i really uh i've been waiting for this moment right this is what happens you buy books and you you wait for a moment this is a book that i remember um as a child it came out in 1982 and i promptly read it cover to cover many many times and then i forgot about it until last year i found it in a bookstore um phoebe can you read for us the cover of this of this book what it is called it is called The Unorthodox Book of Jewish Records and Lists by Alan Gould and Danny Siegel. Zach, can you uh, can you read any of the uh, the records that they are claiming to be unofficially uh, talking about? The original Jewish names of the seven dwarves, the Jewish stress scale, famous Jewish marksmen. Yeah, yeah. So uh, uh, many. It seems like there are many lists. Many the along with the sharpest horseradish ever, and and etc. 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 Alan Gould is Canadian, so there is a good Canadian connection to that. Um, but they had a record for the most trafe trafe. I can't figure out if it's like in order or if they're all six, but I want to read this to you because this is directly related to this. Is it a ham and cheese on Pesach? Uh, sorry, a ham sandwich on Pesach, a ham and cheese sandwich on Pesach, a ham and cheese sandwich on rye on Yom Kippur, a ham and cheese sandwich on white on Yom Kippur, a ham and cheese sandwich on white with mayo on Yom Kippur, or clam stuffed veal with hollandaise sauce served wolf down and paid for oh. on Yom Kippur. There's a part of me that feels like the most trafe or like most un-Jewish food might be like a can of mayo or perhaps it's like the butter that that. I don't know. I think non-Jewish people leave out on the counter. Um, I feel like there are many uh, uh, non-Jewish foods out there. I don't know. Do you want to get to the meat and cheese of the tweet, though? I do. I certainly do. So um, this set forth a little bit of a match between um, right-wing, more more right-wing, more observant American Jewish Twitter and more left-wing, perhaps less observant Jewish Twitter which led to a quote tweet on May 11th from the writer John Gans saying, Bernie Sanders is like 10 Jews and not as in similar to, but sort of like the equivalent of. And then his next tweet in this thread is, this activates my identity politics. I get very angry when people are like, Bernie Sanders is not a real Jew. He's every much as Jewish as some modern Orthodox dork who plays court Jew for the Goyim on TV. And then the next tweet. <laughs> I think they, I'm more... Wait, 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 for, wait I, it continues. Okay, it continues. And I am quoting, remember, I am not personally this person. Okay. <laughs> The next tweet, they are trying to erase an entire swath of Jewish identity, a whole history. It's anti-Semitism, I tell you. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'm more offended by the some of those responses than I am by Ben Shapiro. Fair enough. Um, my reaction is that this is interesting insofar as it does show this split, right, between who gets to decide who is a real Jew, right? You know, I mean, that's, it's illustrating something. I don't, I'm not joining a spat. I'm not calling anybody a dork. I'm, I'm sure anybody arguing on Twitter is a dork. And I think we can, should, we should just all <laughs> embrace it. But uh, yeah, I think the idea that, um, I, I mean, this came up when I was thinking about these ideas of um, secular versus religious in terms of what we talked about with uh, Mark Oppenheimer on the show recently. But are you only authentically and you know sufficiently Jewish if you are personally contributing to Jewish continuity? Is that the only thing that matters? Because I think a lot of times in these discussions, that's kind of the subtext. Um, 
does it have to do with observance? Yeah, I think this is, I just think it's interesting seeing how this is discussed. Um, and I thought this was, it, it's also interesting how passionate about it people still are, you know, like the fact that Ben Shapiro doesn't consider Bernie Sanders enough of a Jew, maybe nobody would care, but people, people really did care. And I found that interesting. Well, I'm going to quote um, the patron saint of Moshe Chai in one of his shortest and most famous poems. Um, Anyone who says I'm not a Jew is not a Jew. I'm very sorry, but this is final. So says Eliezer, son of Nisan, priest of Israel. Uh, Zachary, do you want to fill us in on who this might be? Who is Leonard Cohen? Yes, yes, yes. You won Final Jeopardy, yes. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a wonderful poem, and the idea that like you don't get to decide who is Jewish and who is not, um, really, it just... You might say, I think what I will allow somebody to say is, I don't consider you a Jew, right? And and that's, uh, for great, who, who are you? Big deal, right? I don't consider you a Jew means I wouldn't marry you, I wouldn't uh, eat in your home, I don't count you for a minion. That's fine. Right. But you can't impose that on other people. And you cannot say that this person is not a Jew. Sure. I I think Bernie Sanders, to me, he has certainly all of the sort of ethnic hallmarks of a uh, Brooklyn, New York Jew uh, in terms of his speaking habits and intonations, his affect. But in terms of his thicker identity, I do sort of empathize with the uh, wondering about how much of his identity is based around explicitly around his Judaism. But it's just offensive to go and there's a huge difference to say that somebody doesn't have a doesn't appear to have a very strong Jewish identity and to say that somebody is not Jewish. I see what you're right? saying. And, yeah. and, and that's that's huge. Uh, I think what is definitely a problem uh, I'm not sure whether I have strong enough opinions on um, either Ben Shapiro or John Gans's um, takes with each other, but Elon Musk himself, the Twitter, the Twitterer in chief, yes, had compared George Soros with, forgive me, I am not up on my cartoon characters, but with X-Men villain Magneto, a Jewish Holocaust survivor. I can kind of understand why it would be without having had any prior knowledge of who Magneto. And do either of you know who Magneto? Yes, Magneto. Magneto. Oh, yeah, Magneto is the main villain antagonist in the X Men series. You have on the one hand Charles Xavier, who is in favor of coexistence. He's sort of like the Martin Luther King of the mutants, and the humans should live in harmony. And then you have. Magneto, who is who, who thinks that mutants should take over and uh, rule over the humans. Okay, so Zach, I have a question for you. Is was this so? Was this anti-Semitic? This comparison that Elon Musk made. George Soros, who is frequently trotted out as a sort of uh, Rothschild figure pulling the strings, to say that he is like a supervillain who uh, is of a race of mutants. <laughs> who thinks that the his mutants should rule over uh, humanity, uh, I think certainly plays into very many uh, anti-Semitic tropes. And there's just one quick backstory thing that's necessary, which is that apparently Musk, I'm reading from the CNBC report on this, Musk had re- previously criticized Soros, whose family office Soros Fund Management recently cut its stake in Tesla. 
So, uh, hmm. I, I'm aware that Magneto has a Jewish identity, but that it's it was like sort of tacked on afterwards. And he's not necessarily heavily identified, right? He's kind of a Bernie Sanders Jew <laughs> in, this, in, in the way in which his Jewish well identity there. plays there, right? Because I'm saying <laughs> if he doesn't have a strong Jewish identity, if, like, if, it's, if it's sort of even tangential to his identity, but it's not really like essential to understanding Magneto, but it, you really only understand that he is a supervillain, then, um, you know, Elon Musk is pointing out big supervillain and saying, great, this is an evil person. I'm going to compare you to that person. And it's, it might be incidental that the person happens to be Jewish. Um, and I'm not sure, like, you know, maybe because Soros is also a survivor. Uh, it seems to, like, get messy there. And I don't know. I'm just, eh, I don't know. Why don't we move on? Uh, let's get to our discussion about Herschel Siegel right after we hear from a sponsor. UJA's Walk with Israel is happening this Victoria Day, Monday, May 22nd. Join thousands of community members for the world's largest Israel Solidarity Walk, followed by an epic Israeli-themed beach party to celebrate Israel's 75th birthday. Get all the details by visiting walkwithisrael.com. This is our moment to unite as one strong and proud Jewish community, religious and secular, left and right, Jews and allies. Everyone belongs at the Walk with Israel. Register before May 19th. And if you use the promo code CJN, you can save 10% on all Walk Bundle packages. To register, visit walkwithisrael.com. Herschel Siegel was a young man who uh, died by suicide on April 28th. He was an out gay man who had struggled with mental health, was clearly uh, an accepted member of his community, but he clearly based on some uh, Instagram posts that he had late uh, uh, in his life before he passed away, before he uh, died, show that he did still struggle with the idea of how homosexuality is accepted or not within the Orthodox Jewish community. In the aftermath of that, there has been a back and forth about uh, whether or not the Orthodox community and their non-acceptance of uh, LGBTQ members within the community um, are responsible in some way or another. Um, so I'm curious before, you know, we get further into it, what do you guys have any initial thoughts? Um, Zach, what do you, do you have? Uh... So uh, I think that it's worth putting into context in the days after his death, a lot of people were reposting this post that Herschel wrote on Instagram in March, which I'll quote from here. Abomination, the only word processed by my ears. Abomination, the only thought that made it past my decades of carefully constructed mental barricades. Abomination, the only defining aspect of my inherent self-worth. So that was something that he posted in the month before, and then he took his own life on the Friday before uh, the community was reading the passage in Leviticus that he's referring to that says, uh, man should not lie with another man. It's an abomination. So in the foreword, as you mentioned, Mortify Lovavitz wrote this piece, and the title was, A Young Gay Orthodox Man Died by Suicide. We Must Confront How Jewish Teachings Harmed Him. And so I actually, uh, again, I want to quote from the piece a little bit. The Orthodox community has every right to live in accordance with the traditional understanding of the Torah, and Orthodox Jews all have the right to raise children in line with these complicated beliefs without being labeled as bigoted, homophobic, or evil. Herschel's story was nuanced and complex. I am not suggesting that anyone is directly to blame for his death or could have done something specific to prevent this particular tragedy. What I am demanding is that we not look away from the human cost. That was the uh, article that Mordecai Lovavitz wrote, and you also got 
a lot of responses from the people around him that he had excellent relationships in the Orthodox community. He was out and proud and loved and had very straw and, and people knew he was gay and they were okay with it. And um, not only okay with it, but he, he was fully integrated and seemed to be very supported and even celebrated. Now, those were in his interpersonal relationships. But just because your family loves it and supports you, there's a difference between those one-on-one situations and what sort of community policy. So can I jump in with some questions as somebody from outside the Orthodox world? Sure. Um, I don't know if I have answers, but as a practical matter, what does it mean for somebody to be loved and accepted who's gay in the Orthodox world? So what I mean is if somebody's accepted, does that mean that they can go alone to an event and people aren't rude to them? Or does it mean that they can bring a partner who's of the same sex? I like, I, I guess what I'm saying is that I think to accept somebody can mean a lot of different things and to not, to be able to go into a room and not have like epithets hurled at you is certainly important. But what does acceptance mean as a practical matter in these conversations? Because I read these two articles in the foreword and I'm just thinking like, what does it mean to say everybody accepted him? Because to me, that sounds like it could mean 500 different things. And I want to know what, what it means. So both of you will know better than I do what this means. The way that, you know, there's a spectrum, right? There is no orthodox. There's no one single orthodox. There's a huge spectrum of um, orthodox rabbis that will marry gay couples and orthodox rabbis that won't, that will, you know, not kick them out of shul, but will, I'm sure there are some that will, but the, you know, they may not kick them out of shul, but will not necessarily give, feel comfortable giving them an aliyah, won't let them lead services, but say, you, you know, you're here, you can come here and you can be part of the community. We're not going to kick you out, but that's it. Uh, a couple of good ways of like knowing what it means to be celebrated is if this person gets married, right? Are they going, even if they get married outside of the shul because of any other circumstantial reason, right? Um, in, in an Orthodox capacity, in an unorthodox capacity, do they and their also religious partner who now choose to live in the community, do they get a mazel tov on the Shabbos after they get engaged or after they get married? Where they, Will their child um, be celebrated, right, in the same way and not like in the cloakroom of, you know, because you can't come into the sanctuary, but we can have your bris, you know, outside, right? Like, what is the nature of how accepted one can be, right, within the community? And that's a spectrum. I would guess that probably when it meant that he, and, and again, my guess, your guess is as good as mine, Zach, but like the the fact is, would, would the rabbi that gave the eulogy marry him to another man? Probably not. Would he have given well, him? Sure can't now. <laughs> this is just, I just find this very depressing. Yeah. And I guess I must say like, this is for me like one of these issues where I think um, not that everybody has to be secular, but that there is a point of a certain type of religiosity that I think does actual harm to so certain young people. On, on that I, point, I, I just I, yeah, I mean, I want to talk about that a little bit more because, and I do want to say that I think there are people, and I think about this just like there are Catholic priests and nuns who are celibate. You know, some people their religion is more important to them than their sexuality. And that doesn't mean they don't have a sexuality, but they, you know, that people have different priorities. But I guess I just find it upsetting to think that there are people who are growing up with this sort of wall. Yeah, I don't know. But but that's, that's Here's my a bias, question. Right? Here's a question that I would ask to be able to, like, move this forward a little bit, right, and to try to be productive about it. So how do we reconcile the fact, right, that, and I've said this many times on the show even, change takes time, right? It, it, we are still working on a very long historical cycle, 
right? Women's, you know, rights have not yet fully been, you know, accepted. Um, civil rights for, for, for black people have not been accepted. Indigenous people are still like at the cusp of like starting to like get that tide turned, right? LGBTQ rights are still at a point where we think that everything is fine, but they're really not fine, right? So change takes time and change takes even more time within a community. And that community is changing. The fact that this person was accepted, right? Um, is flies in the face of what it would have been even 20 years ago. Forget about 20, maybe even 10 years ago, right? And that change takes time and it's so difficult for that change to happen. And we have to accept that change doesn't happen overnight and that if the change isn't happening fast enough for you, that's not on you. That's on the rest of the community. That, you know, that's a bit on you, I should say, sorry. And it's not on the community because the communities do take time to fully shift uh, and, and change their mindset. So on that's on the one hand. But on the other hand, people are getting harmed even while this you know, these communities are shifting and are changing and are, you know, slowly starting to get better, but, you know, not fast enough for people to die. And so how do we reconcile those two? How do we help people to live through slow changes without having to deal with trauma? I do have to say for, for me, there's a bit of like a, a twickiness, a yuck factor in, um, immediately after a tragedy, whether it's like a school shooting or some terrible hurricane, you know, we're dealing with real people who really died. And then people are sort of online debating over uh, policy issues ar- around it. And sure. can I just yeah. jump in on that? Because I think this is um, important to distinguish in the US, the number of school shootings, suicide by gun, everything. There's just a just a ton of guns, right? And like, I think that you can say that every individual case had its own individual factors and that that is in a systemic way important and should be brought up all the time, not just in the wake of one of these incidents, but these incidents are basically every day. So every, it's always in the wake of an incident in the States. I would really, really distinguish that between trying to politicize the very specific reasons of one person having taken their own life, which as I said earlier, people are complicated. You never know if somebody who seemed to have killed themselves for reasons to do with sexuality also had debt, also had some other, you know, fight with a friend, the platonic friend, you know, you never know what was going on with somebody. And of course, mental health, its own, which, you know, does and doesn't relate to the sort of political issues at hand. So I would say that I would really make a big distinction between like, the sort of gun type topic and um, trying to parse exactly why an individual killed themselves. There's something very harsh and I don't know what to do with this feeling uh, about saying like if you feel this way about abortion then you know what you're really saying is that you're okay with women dying in back alley abortions. If you have this view of sexuality uh, then the blood is on your hands of people uh, who who die from that those community norms. There's something that feels like an ultimatum. Like if you don't if you don't agree with me on this thing, then you're a murderer. Right. So yes, that okay. I I think we agree on this as a, like the the sort of blood on hands um, rhetorical <laughs> arguing yeah. is is not it's not helpful. I don't think it ever furthers any discussion and i think turning things into like the people who have this view are bad people is never 
never gets anywhere. So I think guns are awful and should be, you know, in virtually all circumstances out of the picture. Do I think individual people who think otherwise are bad people? No, that's not, I don't think that's helpful. And I don't think that gets anywhere. It's funny because I, I think the reverse is true in this case, right? I, it's hard to blame the entire community, but anybody who is in the Orthodox community and says homophobic statements and has a bigoted approach towards a people that they know that are gay, um, I think I can point a finger and say, yes, you are a bad person because the world is changing. Things are getting better for these people. And the only thing that is changed that isn't changing fast enough is you. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so Zach, do you have any personal oh. experiences in the community that, because I have, I am the world's most secular heterosexual, most heterosexual secular. I am of no use here. Right. So um, one of the reasons why this topic I, I brought it forward, I was interested in, in sort of getting into it, was because I did not meet Herschel, but I feel like I could have. Uh, I am an out gay person, and I've traveled in a whole bunch of different Jewish gay spaces, whether it's gay Jewish club scene in New York to queer Talmud learning to, you know, gay Orthodox uh, get-togethers and Shabbat dinners in Jerusalem, I've wandered through a bunch of these communities that have uh, grappled and struggled with uh, religious identity and sexuality in whole bunches of different ways. And so, again, although I didn't know Herschel, I sort of feel like as a 29-year-old um, who's sort of in, at least has feelers in the religious gay community... I sort of could have known him. Mm -hmm. So that's why I I guess what I'm asking also, um, how welcoming you would say that the ortho, I mean, with all the many, many caveats about Orthodox not being one thing and so forth, and also Canada not being the US and all of these many things, where are things at now? And um, are there a lot of, or maybe just like, are there a lot of people who are sort of um, both gay and Orthodox at this point? And, um, or, or would the more likely thing be if somebody wants to lead an openly gay life, leaving the community altogether? You can make yourself a little community. You can you can find supportive like that that exists. But I think the sort of majority, no one's gonna. Again, it, it's more on the tolerated. I don't think that's true anymore. I don't think that's true anymore. I think that I uh, you know. I think that there are many congregations that you can find um, that will have full acceptance, that will wish mazel tov to these individuals for their simchas. Um, they may not uh, get me- uh, do religious weddings for these people because they are, um, because as I put it, they don't have a mechanism that they that they work through that allows them to marry two men, um, you know, given the framework within which in they work. Um, But that doesn't mean that they don't celebrate these people and they don't welcome them in completely. I know people that have left other Orthodox communities to go to places, not to leave Orthodoxy, but to go to places where Orthodox gay men and women uh, are welcome. And I think many people would feel apprehensive to introduce their husband at Kiddush to say, you know, this is my husband. They wouldn't say anything, but it would be a novelty. It would be, um, it's it's something that I, I think. I think it would be a novelty. It's still a novelty to some places. Yeah. 
But I don't think that people are apprehensive in the same way. I think that there's the idea that it's going to rub off on your kids and you're going to convert them uh, doesn't exist anymore. I think the fact that um, that they're weird and they have AIDS doesn't exist anymore. I think the even the, the idea in as so you move more all, and more so modern orthodoxy. So we world in about oh, 2000? Yes, absolutely. So yeah. as I said, okay. change takes yes. time, especially yes. within the religious community. And that's a difficult thing to work with. And that's, I think, where I go back to that question. Question. Do you feel like the orthodox model of the family is still Albain Ima? Less, less and less so. I think less and less so, and I think it's moving away from that. And I think that, uh, but again, change takes time. The, the fact that there are more and more people that are willing to be out and are willing to populate these spaces means that those spaces are bleeding out into more and more normalized places in society. Um, like I said, we are still far and away, right? That person who is fully accepted still has to deal with the psychological um, trauma of knowing that the the chumash that you open, right, the, the, the Bible that you're opening on Shabbat has stuff in it that is not great um, in, in the commentaries, let alone in the, in the text, and that there are still rabbis that are within the sphere of orthodoxy that are saying really vile things about gay people, and that, you know, these questions are still being asked. All of this leads to this aura of like, it's not quite there yet, but there's so many other things that are not quite there yet as well. And yet we still have to live, right? And we still have to move forward as a community. And I don't know what to do about that. I'm really like, I'm at a loss because I want to be there for all of these people and to say, yes, it's changing. Give it time because it's going to take time. But these people are still living with tremendous pressure on a regular basis, even if they are accepted day to day, they know that right. within, what's going on within the community is less than ideal. I just wanted to hear your thoughts on this tension between Herschel's LGBT community, who saying by being part of a community that uh, rejected him, that he couldn't see a future in, uh, contributed to his death. And then on the other hand, many people who were very close to him saying, but we did love him, we did accept him. Everyone knew he was gay. You're trying to turn this into a story of rejection when it wasn't a story of rejection. Um, so how, I'm how would you explain his own post, I guess, then? Wouldn't that be relevant here? It, it would. And, and, I, and I, I, I mean, I happen to think that it depends on how one identifies and where one's various identities, because we are all multiple identities, especially when you have these overlapping others that are all part of your own identity. And it depends how you view yourself ends up being how you view the lens on many other people and many other things. And in this case, we have somebody who um, we don't know because we're not that person. We don't know what their primary identity was, how they stacked up their various identities. Entities. We know that they were struggling with the relationship between homosexuality and the Jewish community. Uh, we also know that they were accepted. We know that they were really felt orthodox. And, and then there are people who have different identities, who take the homosexuality part of their life, the, the gay part of their life, and they say, this is who I am. This is more, right? And if I had to pick one or the other, I'm going to pick my gay identity because it means more to me um, than the other. And I think that what you're seeing is the lens that people view um, the society around them is the way that the lens that they view themselves first. Um, that's just my guess and what I'm thinking. Um, this does happen. This happens with, you know, hate crimes against Jews that sometimes don't always turn out to be that. You know, this happens with any, yeah. I mean, I think... So I does it feel you, yucky? I think the important thing, to, does yeah. it feel yucky no, to I, assign, I say, assign it this meeting? I think 
to assign well, what it I would this say moral? Is that I, th- I would say that you can let it be... Uh, I mean, I think it's relevant what he himself posted, so I think it's very hard to do this. But I think the the best thing to do in these cases is to, to the best of your ability, separate out one thing that's an individual case that can't be without, you know, without oversimplifying a person's life. You can't, you know, say exactly what happened with one specific person, but still feel able to use that as a prompt to think about a topic that maybe you hadn't been putting in the foreground enough. You know what I mean? And if a community needed a little nudge to think about this, maybe here's the nudge to think about this. And it doesn't have to be in this sort of um, blood on hands framing. And it doesn't even have to be like, you know, like the thing where you have so-and-so's name law, you know, which is, um, I'm thinking of, a. this is going to be a totally out of left field, but where the law about not, where, that makes you not allowed to bring nuts to schools because of food allergies is actually uh, the child who died had a milk allergy was not it was not a nut allergy and you can still bring milk to schools because uh yeah so anyway the point is i'm not saying that there needs to be a like um herschel's law you know what i mean like i don't think it has to be all about him but if something raises awareness it can raise awareness without having to oversimplify any actual human being's life i would just moralize and put it exactly this way that even if this wasn't the major contributing factor to his death um, it's clear that as accepted as he was within the community, he was still struggling with this part of his identity because of what the Orthodox community puts out there. And if that's the case, then we still have a lot of work to do. And if that's a lesson that we can learn, that we still have a lot of work to do, then we should just leave it at that and that's it. Are you in the market for a new watch or a special piece of jewelry? Are you looking for the perfect engagement ring to pop the question? Atelier Lou has all this and more. Eric and the team at Atelier Lou can craft a piece for you, or you can select from some of the exclusive designers that they offer. From a simple bangle to a statement necklace, Atelier Lou can make you or your loved ones sparkle. Located in the heart of Westmount in Montreal or online at atelierlou.com, visit Atelier Lou for your next watch or jewelry purchase. And when you do, make sure to use promo code BON18 for 10% off your next purchase. That's atelierlou.com. And now it's time in our show for our nachas. Hit us off, Zach. What's your nachas this week? I have two nachas, nachasin, nachasot, nachasim. Nachasayin. Nachasayin. My first is both a nachas and a shameless self-plug. But if you are uh, going, if you're in Toronto, uh, next Thursday night is Shavuot. There's an all-night learning session from sundown till sunrise Friday morning at the Miles and Dal JCC. And if you uh, hold out till two in the morning, you can come to my session, which will be a text study session called Kol Ha'ar's, examining the soundscape of Jewish voice. And we'll be looking at different conceptions of the voice in Judaism, instances in the Bible that talk about voice and the power of voice and more modern conceptions of uh, different descriptions of the Jewish voice, whether it's nasal or characterized as windy or, or, yeah, the whole vocal soundscape, as I said. Are you going to mention Fran Drescher? I certainly hope so. Uh, So that's my first not this. 
And my second one... I, I, yes? before, you, before you get to the second one, I have to say that I was invited several years uh, ago to the uh, downtown JCC, the Miles Nadal, for Shavuot for their overnight program. I came in from Montreal. Uh, I was one of the featured guests, and I had an amazing time, and it's always a wonderful uh, program that they do, so I'm going to second that. Uh, and my second one is I have been really loving if anyone likes uh, spy novels, the McHaren uh, series, uh, Slough House of uh, Spy Novels. Super fun, super well-written. Uh, I've been really enjoying them and encourage anyone who's looking for a new, fun page turner to investigate McHaren. Great, great book series. Phoebe, what's your nachos? Uh Thanks, Avi. Well, um, I'm looking to see on the website whether this is something that can meaningfully be joined at this point. The UJA Walk for with Walk with Israel on Monday, May 22nd, the event is uh, going to include a little table for the CJN where yours truly uh, will be there for some part of it. Um, hope to see you there. I, I guess um, we will be uh, chatting about what the CJN is and I can answer anybody's questions about what Bonjour High is, although I suspect that people listening to this will be more knowledgeable about that than the average person. Um, my other nachas is uh, my friend and fellow podcast co-host from um, the Feminine Chaos podcast that I also do separate from CJN. Um, her novel, you must remember this, I nachast earlier, um, but I finally finished it because I do not have a tremendous amount of time for sort of non-work reading, but this was... Um, it's a mystery novel. It's um, a rollicking good time. Uh, lots of twists. Uh, I would read it and endorse it even if I did not know her. Um, so yeah, those are my not nachasayim. Avi, I, I, how about I you? do believe I do believe that was the first nachas you ever gave. So that's how long it took oh. you to read it. Yeah. That is so embarrassing. I, I've read so many other books since, but they have all been, in one way or another, something that I would write about or, yeah. Um, yeah. But you don't this, have to explain. This was just, I get just for fun. I saw a, such a wonderful feel-good story that came out uh, yesterday. Um, rabbi Yosef Rimon, who is one of the uh, senior rabbis at Yeshivat Gush Etzion, at the Gush, uh, Yeshivat Har Etzion in the Gush Etzion region, um, and is one of the leading lights of uh, modern uh, Israeli orthodoxy, um, was on a plane this week, uh, and on the plane, the everybody's all the screens had this Mazel Tov message to Mazel Tov Noah, we're so proud of you. And he did not know who Noah was, and he turns to the person next to him and says, who's Noah? And she goes, that's me. And it was Noah Kirel, who's the third place winner of um, the Eurovision. And instead of saying, oh, I'm like this religious rabbi and I don't care about Eurovision, she goes, that's amazing. And they end up in this whole conversation, which they then take a selfie, which she uploads to her family, like WhatsApp group. And then it goes, gets beyond that. And now everybody starts hearing about it. And, um, and the conversation that they had about how she's somewhat traditional and she said the blessings that morning on the morning of Eurovision. And she tries to keep Shabbat as much as she can can and do all this stuff and there's this wonderful selfie of this senior this like leading rabbi and this leading pop star in israel and how um they are not opposed to each other and they liked each other and he even tweeted he even posted something once it went viral about his support for her and all this stuff so um go check it out it's such a wonderful uh heartwarming little story about an encounter on a plane um on the way to back to israel this week 
Excellent. Zach, always glad to have you join us. Thanks for having me. Phoebe, wonderful as always. Thanks, Avi. Nice to chat with you both. Thank you for listening to Bonjour Chai for the week ending May 20th, Shabbat Parashat Bamidbar. The show is produced and edited by Zach Kaufman. The executive producer for CJN Podcasts is Michael Freeman. Our music is by So-Called. We are a project of the Jewish Living Lab and are distributed by the CJN Podcast Network. You can listen to all our past episodes on our page at thecjn.ca slash bonjour, and you can subscribe to the podcast and automatically receive all episodes on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you told a friend about Bonjour Chai. It's one of the best ways we get new listeners and and as always, you can email us with comments at bonjour at thecjn.ca. I'm Avi Feingold. I'm Phoebe Maltzbovi. And I'm Jack Hoffman. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.